Hi, my name is Warner Lewis. Thank you for joining me for Creating Home, a weekly podcast exploring what different successful individuals have done to allow them to find their physical, emotional, and spiritual home. We'll discuss their individual journeys, including disadvantages, roadblocks, adversity, and dead ends, as well as their strategies, successes, and support, which allowed them to overcome obstacles and thrive. Thank you for joining me today uh, for Creating Home. Today, we have Devin Morgan of Driveline Baseball. Um, I am a massive baseball fan, geek, ex-player at a decently high level and a huge baseball father. And I met Devin uh, virtually through a podcast that he gave to my son's team. And I was blown away with him as a human being and how that came through. And I, and really his forward thinking approach to baseball and life and dealing well with others. Um, and driveline, for those of you who don't know, is at the forefront of the changing analytics of baseball. So, um, Devin, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I know that this isn't right up your wheelhouse, but I do think that there's so much crossover and so many things that you have learned trying to develop young children and maybe in your own development that can help everyone. Oh, sure. I mean, and it's it's also in my wheelhouse because I if you if you heard the Bulldogs uh, chat, I do kind of get a little bit uh, long-winded when it comes to talking about baseball uh, and earing into other avenues. So I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Again, what jumped out to me with you was your passion. And again, humility and humanity are very, very important to me uh, and people that I, I, I strive to meet and get to interact with. But your passion, and you told the story of how you ended up working at Driveline. And uh, yeah. I'd love you to share it because it really like it caught my attention. Sure. So, um, you know, my wife and I, uh, you know, either nature or nurture have been blessed to have two kids that are you know, generally happy and healthy, but they also like really love baseball, which is great for me because I love baseball. And, you know, that that path uh, combined with the fact that like as a parent, I I just want to do the best to like honor my children's goals. Um, You know, I I mean, obviously, again, it starts with them. I I want them to be happy and healthy and I want them to stay that way. Um, But, you know, past that, I want them to you know, get the most bang for their buck out of like all facets of their facets of their life. And that is, you know, for me, pretty pervasive as a parent. Like I want them to do well in school. I want them to be happy and, you know, socially adjusted. Um, and when it comes to athletics, like I, I want them to do their best and I want to try to provide those opportunities for them. Um, so my wife and I, we have a 13 year old girl and 11 year old boy. Um, and both of those kids, like, uh, really love baseball. Um, but Danny, our son, uh, is, he's a little bit like that, uh, that impetus turned up to like 13. Um, and kind of from the moment that he was, you know, from the moment that he was really teeny tiny, like he, man, he, the kid just loves the game. And like, and he really wants to, as he's gotten older, the initial thing of like, I really love baseball has turned into this crazy desire to like, you know, he wants to play baseball at the highest level possible, um, which is weird to see being communicated from like a, a little, like just a little person. But like, that's just been kind of how he's always been. And, you know, because of that, as a parent, I've I've tried to 
find different training opportunities. Like I, I want him to to do his best, and and I certainly don't go into this thing presuming that uh, that I know what is best because I didn't play really that level of high level baseball. And so whatever degree of talent I had as a baseball player, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in the box and see somebody throwing like, you know, 92, 95 with like disgusting off-speed stuff. I, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, in the field or be a pitcher and playing against like really elite level competition. So I don't presume that anything that I kind of know about the game other than just like, you know, casual American baseball fan understanding was really correct. So, um, you know, you you do the kind of the typical parental playbook, right? Like you go to the the library and you check out some books and you read those books and, you know, a little like, you know, baseball, the Cal Ripken way and Ted Williams, the science of hitting, um, you know, was like, you know, two entry points for me. But like, you know, Ted Williams, science of hitting was like, uh, that's that's the uh, that's the Bible for me uh, on the hitting side of things. And then you just try to find like training experiences for your kids uh, that are beneficial. And we you know, tried out some of those. Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. Some of them were, you know, uh, potentially injurious. Um, and somewhere along the way, I found driveline um, as just a parent and was really attracted to the scientific method of the approach, right? The fundamental concept of like test and retest, like we're going to test something to kind of see where you are. We're going to introduce training to help you get better. And then we're going to retest to see if that actually happened. And I, I really kind of was drinking the Kool-Aid about that approach to youth baseball development, or I guess that approach to baseball development, and then kind of thinking about how to distill that to both my own kids and the kids that I was coaching as just like a, a rec baseball coach. Um, and then I saw Driveline was, you know, they had a, a an open youth camp. And Driveline is about 45 minutes to an hour away from my house, depending on traffic. Um, but it seemed like just such a such a fantastic opportunity that I kind of wanted to, I, I wanted to make it happen. So, you know, three days a week, I would leave work early and I would pull my son out of school early. Um, I, I was able to talk to his, uh, to the principal and to his teacher and say he had an opportunity to go to like a, you know, this baseball, baseball training academy place. And it was really, really good, but I needed to pull him early from school. And, uh, and they were gracious enough to allow me to do that. So I would pull Danny early from school and we would get in the car and drive down and go to driveline. And man, you know, from, I think from the moment that I walked in the place, just from a variety of, of factors, it was just like, oh, this is, these guys are A, really good and B, the care factor is really, really high. Um, you know, when it comes to youth baseball training experiences, when you bring kids in the door, oftentimes you don't have someone in that's uh, that's engaging with the child, not the parent, about things like, you know, uh, are you playing on a team right now? How often are you practicing? How often are you playing games? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Like trying to figure out kind of where the kids are relative to the game. Um, and that was kind of what I saw, you know, walking into driveline on day one is, is kind of that process of communication with the kids. Um you know, doing like a PT screen to make sure that they're healthy and are moving well and that there aren't any kind of mobility limitations. I was just completely blown away. So to try to make, to make a little bit of a long story a little bit shorter, you know, we, we did that, you know, that training, that off season for my son, probably between like January and March. Um, I was able to kind of develop some relationships with the guys that worked at Driveline. And at the end of that session, I was talking with uh, Jason Ochart, who's our Driveline Director of Hitting. And is currently uh, also um, is in a split deal where he's a Philadelphia Phillies minor league hitting coach. Um, and I told Jason, I was like, look, if you guys ever open a facility that's closer to my house, I will work for you for free for two years. 
because uh, because all I wanted to do is I wanted to be on the team. You know, I wanted to be a part of the pirate ship. And Jason kind of laughed at me and I was like, no, like I'm actually serious. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, later on down the road, I positioned up at Driveline. So I took kind of an entry level position, was the office manager. And now in my current role as a director of youth baseball are trying to kind of leverage that same idea, which is that like we have a high degree of information, data, training and equipment software solutions that scale for uh, the highest levels of competition. Um, and what we try to do with you training at Driveline and specifically with our Driveline Academy initiative is take that information and distill it down into like, what's the most important for a kid between the ages of say like nine to 13 that loves the game of baseball and they just want to get better. Um, and how do we serve the needs of that particular customer? And and, you know, that's that's how I ended up at Driveline. And it's it's for sure it's the best job I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously was a, a pretty bold statement saying you're going to work for free for two years. And, you know, but it's it's exciting to hear that passion and just to know that feeling that this is where you want to be. And you want to be because something people are doing it the right way, not because you're certainly not working for free for two years trying to make the most money. You're just trying to get into the place which you think will be the best fit for you and your life. Oh, sure. What's so interesting with me with driveline and what's happened with baseball and sports in general is the thought of, you know, how can we make ourselves better? And obviously the very important thing with kids, and you've stressed this, and it's something that I have to watch myself with is we're dealing with kids. So we want to make it fun, but we can be better. But again, we're dealing with kids and, 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 and making sure that we're not stealing the fun from them. Yeah. But at the same time, giving them the best tools to uh, perform. And for me, the hope is here. And I know it's 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 not a direct fit as most guests I have. But I truly do believe that there are things that you have learned or things we can pry out of baseball from a sport that is based on failure that sure. help resonate with people who will be listening who've never even played baseball maybe hate baseball but there's something intrinsic to baseball that it's it's one of the best uh, sort of um, analogies for life you know you, if you three oh, out yeah. of ten times you, you get a hit you're going to the Hall of Fame right now um, and but it's dealing with adversity dealing with failure the dealing with you know res resiliency and the willingness to just plow on through and that those are the things I really, really want to get from you and from what you've seen and and tips that you might have that go beyond baseball. Sure, I mean I you know I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't feel like baseball was a man. It's just it's a huge conduit for helping you understand. Uh, you know, not to get too, you know, hippy dippy, but like how to understand yourself, how to understand, you know, perseverance, how to understand uh, individual development. Um, and I think those concepts are, if we um, can kind of structure them correctly and make them palatable, I think it's something that is just as much applicable to your average, you know, young boy or girl that just like, uh, you know, they have that initial impetus, which is just like baseball is fun and I want to do it. Um, you know, the the validity of baseball being able to kind of teach you that stuff at a young age is is certainly something that continues for as long as you stay in the game. And, um, you know, one of the things we've talked a lot about is the way that, you know, our specific approach in terms of, of youth baseball is we, we try to use a lot of data and technology. And I think sometimes that can be a little, 
it seems a little uh, dangerous to some people, or it seems a little bit like I don't understand that. So I'm a little bit hesitant to kind of dive in those waters. And the general idea that I try to uh, help people understand is that like, if you go to a swimming meet or you go to a track meet, you're going to see a stopwatch. And that stopwatch provides data, it provides data for the coach and the athlete and establishes, uh, depending on how you use it, this feedback loop of like, this is how you're performing today. And then if you got data a week ago, then you reference that data as an idea about, well, this is how I performed in a previous period of time. And all we're trying to do is kind of establish this idea that like, I want to connect those dots for any athlete between, you know, this is how you are now, and you're going to work harder at it. And then you're going to get better. And I want you to be validated in that pursuit by seeing the evidence thereof. Um, you know, for us on the baseball side, that can be things like how hard you throw the ball, how fast you swing the bat, uh, how hard you hit the ball. Uh, or it could be like on the strength and agility side of like, how many pushups can you do? You know, how many squats can you do? Uh, you know, for or, older athletes, how much do you bench, squat, deadlift, you know, just kind of fun fundamental functional exercises. But all of this is just kind of driving towards this idea of self-improvement is a thing and uh, you can get better at the things that you want to do. And, uh, you know, for any of these kids, getting that type of feedback loop established, it's very much just like the snowball rolling downhill analogy that like, it tends to incentivize itself once we start that process. Um, and specific to baseball, oftentimes the validation tends to rely on kind of one or two, one of two pathways. If it's in a training environment, it's just like a guy, you know, a, a man or a woman standing outside the cage alongside you on the mound, sitting on a bucket going like that was good and that was bad, but then the other one was good, but it was good for a different reason. And for young kids, uh, it's hard for them generally because they're young to kind of interpret that in a meaningful way. Um, you know, kids, I, I say this, uh, you know, often, um, you know, children are not small adults, children are children. And the meaning, you know, the moment that I start communicating with either one of my kids, um, there's all this other consideration about like effectiveness of information. Are the words that I'm using understandable, right? Like my vocabulary is different from theirs. Do they even understand the words that I'm using? Uh, if they do understand the words they're using, specific to like a you know a sports development application, do they understand enough about kind of how to control their own bodies to take the the, the words that I'm giving them and turn that into action? You know, if I'm trying to give them some type of coaching cue that has to do with how they're moving their bodies. Do they even understand how to move their bodies accurately uh, at a high rate of speed enough that they can actually implement that? And then even if you kind of check those two first substantial hurdles, the next one is, do they understand the difference between this new movement and the, the new improved movement and the previous movement? And because they're kids, oftentimes somewhere along the pathway, um, you know, the answer ends, ends up being either no or not very well. Um, but that's kind of typically the training mechanism for most youth sports and specifically a lot of the times in youth baseball in a conventional sense. Um, but the other conduit for kind of validation that we see in baseball is kind of what happens in the box score. And the the thing about a baseball box score is that it's really effective at kind of giving you a, a condensed actionable, actionable amount of information about the outcome of a baseball game, which is not necessarily the same as the outputs. Um, so again, for us, what uh, what we try to 
we try to have the perspective when it comes to youth baseball is it's like the best baseball coaches in the world and the highest level, you know, teams and organizations in the world, when it comes to the performance of a kid who hasn't hit puberty yet, uh, they kind of don't care either way. Um, you know, my, my son is going to be getting ready to play in some tournaments, you know, uh, assuming that that actually goes through probably, you know, early mid part of July here. And if he, you know, in his first tournament bats a thousand, um, Tim Corbin doesn't care. He's a, you know, power five collegiate head coach, right? If he goes over for the tournament, um, Eric Backage, head coach at U Michigan, he doesn't care, right? Like, uh, neither one of those outcomes are definitive about, about his athletic future, but his parents, you know, we're very familiar with the box score and we tend to kind of overly orient towards the things that satisfy that goal. The, the real substantial problem also happens to be an environmental problem though, because, the literal physical configuration of a youth baseball field is vastly different than a 90-foot baseball field. And again, because the participants on the youth baseball field are youth, right? They're, they're kids. The stuff that's effective in that environment tends to be kind of uh, in a different direction than what's effective when you get to the highest level of competition. If all you're doing is like gaming the system to try to win, um, you know, youth fielders are, are not very good yet because they're just their kids, right? Um, youth pitching can be a lot of times overly oriented towards things that fill up the box score positively, the outcome-based stuff as opposed to the output, which was like, you know, the intent level, velocity, like are we challenging hitters? Or are we kind of orienting away from failure? And there's two kind of very different approaches. Uh, same thing on the hitting side. So the lens that we try to have and the perspective that we try to have is just that you know, neither one of these outcomes, abject failure or, uh, or you, you know, ultimate success, it doesn't matter that much. Um, so what we want to try to do is, is, regardless of those two outcomes, focus on things like output, you know, positive emotional attachment and fun. And then ideally, I just want to get that kid to the point that they're actually fired up and excited to show up to a high school baseball field. Um, because that's where we can start to get a little bit more serious uh, and it's also at a point where a young athlete is actually able to, you know, cognitively and emotionally navigate both sides of that kind of failure thing that is very much intrinsic to baseball. Um, but if we if we kind of take that degree of seriousness and kind of, you know, square hole round peg that onto like a 10 year old little boy or girl, oftentimes they don't have any idea how to kind of put those things and those experiences in proper context. Um, so at best, you have a kid that like, you know, they go, they bat a thousand for the tournament and they're just like walking in there and they're, they're walking on air and they feel great until the next tournament. And then they go like one for four or over five or one for six or one for eight. And if the signal that they're receiving from coaches and parents and other people kind of in the area that are able to give a signal is like, that was really bad because we didn't get the outcome that we wanted, as opposed to kind of using output as a mechanism to drive Again, like this trail of breadcrumbs towards kind of a long-term developmental goal, it's really easy for that kid to just be like, at some point they get, you know, I mean, you hear about this, these kids that get burnt out. Uh, and it's like the idea that like an 11-year-old is burnt out on anything, it's just, it's hilarious. You know, my, my kids are not going to be burnt out about like riding scooters or riding bicycles or playing video games because it's constantly fun. Uh, but, you know, when we take this perspective on youth baseball, where it's just like overly seriousness with a high degree of kind of, you know, consequence pitfall that we can run into, uh, we run the risk of the other thing, which is like 
running kids out of the game again before puberty. We really don't even know what they're capable of. Well, and that's you know what, and I'm, I'm thankful to the Bulldogs for having you on. And what really resonated with me because I have you know I, I have my background is growing up in New York City on the Upper East Side in a very privileged background that's very results oriented. Uh, you know, sure. where do you go? Who do you know? What do you do? What do you make? All of those things. And, you know, the thing that you said that 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 really resonates with me and, and why, um, you know, I love what Driveline is doing and what you're talking about is the outputs being more important than the results. Because if the outputs are good, then over time, the outputs are someone who's doing it right or doing it with greater enjoyment or doing it with greater intensity. It's sort of like Shawshank Redemption, the breakout scene. If you do that, that pressure over time, the right way, you're going to have great results. If you have great Correct. results because you're drag bunting and no one knows how to, the first baseman doesn't know what to do and you you hit 700, but you're drag bunting as an 11-year-old, you get to high school, you're, you're going to be useless because that, that sort of trick will, will, will not play as well. And so that's, you know, that's what I really want to, sort of dig into a little bit and, and um, because I, you know, it's funny, whereas I am, again, I just said, I'm a very results oriented, you know, what I see is what I can quantify. That was my upbringing. I have a business partner who's very much output oriented and he's very much the driveline in our industry of analytics, spreadsheets, you know, track everything, what's working, what yep. isn't. And then, you know, adjust towards what's working and either strengthen what isn't or just like this is purely isn't working, i.e. you have a curveball curve on the slider and one of them is getting tattooed and the other one's unhittable, you might just want to get rid of one. And so it's really, sure. it's great for me and it's funny for me to talk about and, and try to bring my business partner in who couldn't give two, you know, what's about baseball. But as, <laughs> as sort of an example of of what I look towards as as being smart and 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 and, and uh, a willingness to get uncomfortable and be uncomfortable and try new things, but also keep track of things and see what's working, see what isn't, and really the outputs being the important thing. And I think again, extrapolating even further, those people who enjoy what they do and get positive feedback invariably are going to do better at what they do than those who don't enjoy what they do, even if they're more talented because of the bad feedback and just sort of a reticence to do it. And I, sure. I have to admit as a baseball dad, you know, one of the worst things that has occurred for me is actually having a son that shows some prolific um, tendencies at a young age. And then I have found myself getting in a mindset of then jumping forward and saying, well, he can do this now, or you know, uh, you know, this D one high D one baseball coach said he has great arm action, and we should come down for a father son weekend. You know, all of a sudden, I have I am in my head thinking, well, there's the pathway. There we go. We got right. this all figured out. And then anything that goes outside of that pathway that I have in my mind is attacking what I see as the best outcome, and. It was really hard for me as a parent to realize how much I was initially potentially damaging a fun thing for my son 
and how I realized that the best thing I can do, and we've talked about this, or just you know via Instagram DMs, yeah, is is step back. Like I I got to remove myself, and yeah, and that because for him that's the best thing because I want to be the one clapping him on the back and saying great job, or if it didn't work out, you'll get him next time, and that's my my role as a parent. I want to be the cheerleader. I want to be out there with pom-poms jumping up and down. And um, that's the most important thing. And, uh, and you know, you, it has been so clear from you how much you get that. And you even spoke directly and, and, and down to, in a good way, parents who might be other way. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, anyway, it, I just wanted to sort of say that out loud because it meant a lot to me. I think it's just important in life in general. Yeah, I mean, and, and the the tricky thing is, is that I think the you know the the driving emotion for that is so pure because uh, you know again not to get like too you know often Devin's projection about emotions as a parent, but but it comes from a really pure place, which is that it's like you know you you have somebody that you uh, you perceive has insight and expertise in a field, and they're like you know, your kid is good. Uh, and they have kind of, again, they open up the door to this pathway. So as a parent, once you kind of see that door opened, if you have two choices, one is like a deviation from that path. And then two is like continuing on that path. Obviously you have all this additional emotional incentive to want to see everything that is not a deviation because you, I mean, I think uh, maybe not you. And I, I, I mean this in the Royal you, but I'll even get more specific and say me. I have a like a first blush tendency to interpret that as it's like that's the path to safety. That's and, and by safety I mean in terms of like emotional safety and resolution of your life and and you know reaching your goals like all of that is safety in one way shape or form for my child which is is like as a parent it's the most pure thing that I can try to offer cultivate and provide to my children as I want them to be safe. But then if you ride that thing, you start to see those deviations again, because they're kids, uh, you know, and it's the initial, uh, the initial response, oftentimes, like the hackles come out. And it's like, you know, I, I don't want that. Or like, why did you do that? Or why did that happen? Or, or, you know, all of this stuff is potentially damaging this pathway that I'm seeing. And the truth of the matter is that I think, again, at the end of the day, you know, we're thinking about like having to navigate again with like a high level baseball kid. Uh, the most primary thing to navigate between, say, the ages of like 12, where they, you know, 11 or 12, they start to show promise and capacity. And the age of like, say, 16 or 17, where it's like, oh, colleges are actually maybe knocking out the door, or you have, you know, Pro Scout that comes to your game. If it anywhere along that pathway, that child loses their why for the game. None of this stuff matters. Like, like, like none of it. Because I, I mean, you can't imagine like a you know a sixteen year old approaching the game of baseball in two thousand twenty, uh, like the way that they would like approaching like uh, you know working in a coal mine. I mean, these these kids have so much open and available to them in terms of other areas of interest. Uh, other things that they have access to, other things that can take their attention and provide more direct, you know, enjoyment and fulfillment, um, or they're not going to provide them direct harm and specifically harm and shame 
and uh, and consequence that comes from a parent or a coach or a person in a position of authority, why would they choose baseball if that's the signal that they get? So, so for me, again, it kind of comes down to that same thing. Is it's like I, I think the the best thing that I can do is to honor the customer, to honor that child. Is be like, look, you're going to have moments where you're going to go out and succeed, and you're going to feel like a world beater. And I want to, I want to take that moment, and I want to squeeze it deep inside of you to a place where, like, that's a source of confidence that's going to propel you for the other side of the equation which is that point where you do fail in a air quotes big moment at the age of like 12, 13, 14, 15. Because both of those things, arguably, if you stay around the game of baseball long enough, are going to happen. And for me, it kind of comes back to the question of is like, how do I both help a player develop the thing that matters most for the possibility of success in those moments? And how do I uh, help a player find that trail of breadcrumbs uh, to navigate the other side of the equation when they do struggle, where they do fail, where they do make mistakes? Because again, man, sustained application of pressure over time is the way that we build great ball players. But because we're talking about kids, because we're not talking about uh, you know professional athletes we have to kind of like guide them along that pathway and navigate both sides of this equation. And if the way that you navigate that isn't oriented around, like at the end of the day, this thing has to stay emotionally positive for you. If it, if it isn't um, something that, that someone is helping you provide context with, I think it's more likely that these kids just go, uh, I'd want to do something else. Um, you know, a lot of times we've seen, you know, the, the trends in terms of like the audiences of baseball at the, at the highest level as a game, the participation numbers for baseball are not necessarily great. Uh, and I want to change that because I believe in our game. I believe in its capacity to, to help kids understand themselves, but we don't get that opportunity to kind of show off that side of the game of baseball if we don't have, um, you know, equity and access at the ground floor for kids to actually be able to play the game. And then they need to receive a signal from the parents and coaches. And oftentimes those two groups are intertwined. They need to receive a signal that is, it's validating, that it does provide them context. And like, you know, you, you don't have to go far to kind of hear like these horror, sto horror uh, stories of coaches that are just like laying into like a group of like 11 year olds about, uh, you know, just disgusted with your guys's effort today it's like dude they're 11 i mean that stuff's gonna happen and um you know and, and kind of criminalizing the fact that they are 11 within this specific venue of baseball it's generally only going to do one thing which is make it more likely that they think that baseball is not fun and they're gonna find something else to do because they have a lot of other options yeah and i, I think you know, you said a lot, and, I, and one thing you said um, very clearly was, uh, I want to make sure I say it right, the sustained application of pressure over time. And, yep. you know, what I have found is for those individuals who are successful, regardless of what field they're in, there's no such thing as an overnight success. I mean, maybe, you know, there's a model somewhere who gets discovered just because they're really good looking somewhere, and maybe that's an overnight success. But anyone sure. in any field... It is because of a combination those things that you mentioned. And the biggest thing is the person who loves it most is the one who's usually willing to do that. There are some people who are just so driven by 
money, for example, that they're willing to run through. Maybe that is the love of money, but it's. It, 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 I think it's universal that for anyone who's successful, they are the ones who are probably up earlier and are putting in more work. And um, it's been, I think, great to see now with the change in athletics over the last thirty years, from you know, sort of have a cigarette and a hot dog between innings, to sort of the, <laughs> the Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant mindset where Kobe's like, you know, I'm going to be up at 3 a.m. working out because I know no one else is doing that. And I'm willing to do it because I love this and I want to be the best that I can be. And I know that's wildly extreme. I mean, you get me up before 6 a.m. and I, I'm useless for the rest of the day. But I, I just think right. that, that that there are core tenants and uh, for, for someone who's out there who's trying to find their way, blaze a path, follow a dream, whatever, that there are core tenants that you know, whether it's baseball, whether it's, you know, anything, it is that person who's willing to put in the work. And but not only working hard, it's the way that driveline works, which is working smart, which is having the data, the analytics, you know, understanding, as you said, the customer or understanding yourself where you might be someone who, you know, I remember Roy Williams, uh, coach of Carolina basketball, grew up, grew up incredibly yep. poor. So having a Coca-Cola yep. was something that was huge for him. And still now that he's got tens of millions of dollars, three national championships, there's still that Pavlovian response to a Coca-Cola where it's like, I'm having this because I put in a hard day's work. Yeah. So, so you know, there are these tenants, but I think across the board for anyone who wants to be successful and wants to be able to maybe dig themselves out of a hole. And I know I had to dig myself out of a pretty sizable one when I was 29. And uh, many people who I've had on the podcast had major addiction problems and they had to dig themselves out of hole and in that nothing happens overnight. I mean, not even Randy Johnson through 97 overnight. It was, it was lots and lots of years and working on it, but it's the willingness to do it because you find something you love and because you have a sort of supporting environment and because, you know, you're able to grow, to be able to be compassionate towards yourself, which has to at first come from your parents um, when you fail, because, and that's why I love, Baseball is an analogy for life. Is you even the best player in the history of baseball failed more than he succeeded as a hitter? Uh, as sure. a pitcher, less so, but still as a hitter. And there's also in baseball, much like in life. I was I was uh, listening to Bob Tewksbury's book, and and I loved. He talked to a pitcher. He threw 89. I can't remember the exact story. He threw 89 pitches, gave up a few runs. But he's like, you have the 89. I hit my spot 84 times. So my ratio was incredible. Yeah. Was great. I just. Once I let the yeah. ball go, there's nothing I can do. And in life, you know, once you put yourself out there and once you do your best, that's all I can do. If I go on a pitch for business, I give my best, I don't get it. Okay. I can either be miserable about it or say, did I do everything I could have? Yes. Okay. On to the next one. And, um, you know, I think that's what I've, you know, what I really hear from you, you're trying to instill. And it's not just for kids, it's for anyone and everyone. If you want to succeed, you have to be willing to fail. That's life. But it's a, it's a sustained approach and the ability to, uh, what a kid can't do, but as an adult can do, quantify it and say like, for every success, I'm going to have to have X amount of failures and just be okay with that. That's right. part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the weird thing in baseball is that, you know, oftentimes what we see with kids and, and they get athleticism coached out of them. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, they... Again, you know, it's either a parent or a coach or an instructor, even sometimes the kid himself is like they, um, you know, they perceive that there is benefit to like this 
specific style of mechanical approaching or a specific approach to the game as a hitter for what you're trying to do in the box. You know, the old saw of like, you know, let it travel deep. Mm -hmm. And the, the crazy thing about baseball is that you can listen to the highest of high level performers, guys that are in the hall of fame, and they will advocate for some of these things, right? You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go nod to the ball, right? Or I'm going to let the ball travel deep or, you know, my, my output, you know, the number one thing that I, that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hit the ball, um, you know, over the second baseman's head for a right-handed hitter. And you can hear that stuff coming out of the mouth of a guy who's got like, you know, 500 plus home runs, the highest level of competition. And a lot of the home runs that he's hit are like, you know, like pull side, you know, 440 foot missiles. And those two things are very, uh, very oil and water to each other, right? Uh, so there's this this just fundamental break between like what's being told to you and uh, and what's kind of really happening. And when that gets done in a training environment, it can drive kids away from just kind of natural, you know, athletic capacity that they have. So when it comes to when it comes specifically to baseball and when it comes specifically to youth baseball, um, we try to have that sustained application of pressure over time, working towards either higher performance as a thrower or higher performance as a hitter, being oriented towards really simple, understandable uh, athletic goals, right? Um, you know, the reason that we monitor throwing velocity for younger players is if a kid continues to throw harder, generally that's going to mean one of kind of two things. Uh, their mechanics are getting better, their sequence is getting better, the way that they produce force is getting better, or they're just naturally growing up and getting stronger, and all of those things are good. Um, if you are hitting the ball harder, that generally means you're swinging the bat faster, and if you're swinging the bat faster, it's kind of the same three things again, right? Your mechanics are improving, the way that you're producing force and sequencing using your whole body um, is getting better, or you're just kind of naturally getting stronger. We maintain that orientation towards this really simple output goal because it's going to drive it's going to drive our car the farthest way down the road on the on oriented towards athleticism as possible. And what we're kind of saying behind that is, again, when it comes specifically to youth kids, is that they're so they're so unique at a biological level. We want to give them that kind of sustained application of pressure over time through environments and systems that are going to drive them to find patterns strength and movement that is biologically unique, um, that is cultivated around a mechanics that works for them. So the trick is just creating kind of training systems that allow them to find that. But that is not an overnight fix. Um, you know, I I was working with a kid uh, literally this week on, I want to say it was like Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. Uh, it's a family that I know and, and the mom reached out to me and said, hey, I, I want to know if you could have, you know, my son just come down and hit with you and your son and your daughter. And I was like, sure, no problem. You know, we get on the field and I'm like, yo, tell me, like, what are you thinking about in the box? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, like, what do you think you're trying to do? Like, where are you trying to hit the ball? He's like, well, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, if there's a runner on third, I want to hit the ball at first base side. And, you know, if there's a runner on first, I'm trying to pull it. And, uh, and I was like, look, here's what we're going to try to do today. I just want you to move fast and I want you to hit the ball hard. I want you to try to hit the ball as hard as possible. And we start that in a training modality with these things called hitting plyos. It's a soft, sand-filled ball, uh, weighs a little bit more than a baseball. And, you know, we put them in this environment where it's like, look, all I want you to do is try to hit that ball flush. And what flush means is that if you square that ball up, it's generally going to retain its shape. Um, and that's a good thing. 
and we're going to play a point-based game for like how many of those balls do you hit flush as opposed to how many of them do you pancake. And if you kind of slice through the ball or chop it or top it or slice it, uh, the ball tends to deflect into like almost a pancake shape. So we're just going to play that game. And we're going to do a point-based game for you get as many points for as many balls that you flush. And then we're going to do another drill, um, you know, but it's, we don't call it a drill. We call it the Happy Gilmore, right? And the Happy Gilmore is, I'm, you know, when we start it, I'm just going to put a ball on a tee. And I want you to take like two shuffle steps and then Happy Gilmore that thing. I want you to hit it as hard <laughs> as you can. Uh, in a technical sense, what I'm looking for that player to do is I'm actually looking for them to use the kinetic chain to create load, right? We're trying to go mm-hmm. from you know, from proximal to distal, right? And when we create all that force, then what I want to see the hitter do is I want to see them do an efficient job of bracing with their front leg and rotating around it. Um, because that's going to allow you to take the thing that you've created, uh, you know, this force production using your entire body and then use it. Um, you know, and then we're, and then, you know, we're going to do a little bit of that game work. And then it's just like, look, man, I'm just going to feed you some balls. And all I want you to do is try to move fast and hit the ball hard. And she sends me this text message and she's like, uh, you know, he's a left-handed hitter. And she's like, he, you know, was at practice last night and hit a ball, you know, that almost would have gone to the fence. And the kid goes, uh, you know, it's because I worked with Devin and he's helping me, you know, move my hips. And I got that feedback and I kind of almost wish that he wasn't even thinking about his hips. <laughs> what, I, what I really want him thinking about is just like I moved fast because I don't want him to start thinking about the internal configuration of his hips, I just want him to be output oriented and intention oriented. And I want his mechanisms to his, his mechanics to be defined by that. Like the best mechanics that serve me are ones that are biologically unique and achieve the task output. And that task output is simple and it's move fast and either hit the ball hard or throw the ball hard. Because when I communicate with a young athlete in those specific terms, not only am I giving them kind of uh bandwidth to interpret it in a way that works for them, but they're going to know in very in very certain terms when they achieve that task and when they not. And they don't necessarily need me to give my tacit approval. And instead, they can just be like, I move fast and I hit the ball hard and that was good. And I can confirm that, right? I want to give them that kind of emotional support, but but they can see it for themselves, uh, which maybe that sounds kind of crazy as a coach, but like, that's what I want to try to do. I want these kids to understand that like they can be their own coach. My job is just to kind of shepherd them along that path and show them that these type of environments that can kind of drive different mechanics based on the stuff they need to improve. But it's up to them to actually find a movement solution that solves, again, a very simple output based goal. So you distilled down a lot of things that I think are universal, universally applicable. So with that, for knowing that the listening audience is definitely going to skew 30 and above. Uh, and maybe yep. some people younger who, again, the, the hope here is that there's someone out there who's struggling with something or a change in life or, you know, just, just needing to, to, to know that, that they can get through something they're trying to get through. From someone who is, you know, a, a coach trying to teach people how to coach themselves, which is what you basically just said you're trying to hope to get kids to be able to do. What would you say universally are things that you've seen or could be used in everyday life to help someone who wants to change where they are today or to find a sort of, whether it's spiritual, physical, um, uh, emotional home from which they can have the greatest success in their life? Oh, man. Um, well, 
if you're going to take advice from someone who like finally found the job that he really wanted to do at age like 40 uh, and, and had a failed marriage in his early 20s and probably wasn't the best version of a parent that I wanted to be for the first like, ah, man, almost, you know, five, six, seven years of my kid's life. With that caveat, uh, I think I come down on really two pretty simple things. Uh, you need to make a concerted effort to know yourself. And I think you need to make a concerted effort to know what you want. Um, and those two things are not necessarily like uh, knowing myself at 1051 Pacific time on a Friday at the end of June. But like, man, you got to kind of know yourself and you got to unpack a lot of stuff. I'm 43 years old. Understanding myself means that I kind of have to unpack like 43 years of stuff. And I am trying to understand myself as like a giant compensatory mechanism uh, for the for the life experiences that I had when I was younger, because that stuff, uh, the impact is so significant uh, that it kind of, you know, the reverberations in the pool for the stuff that happened to me before the ages of like, again, I mean, we're talking about the same time period, right? Like what happened for me pre-puberty and how does that continue to shape, defi define and affect like the every other day that I have moving forward, this early childhood stuff is so impactful um, that if I've done anything right over the course of like the last three, five years, it's it's putting in some work and burning some calories to really like unpack my stuff and understand me. And I'm not saying that from like as if I'm on the mountaintop, you know, looking down into the valley and be like, ah, I am at uh, you know, the point of ultimate inner peace and reflection, man, like I, I'm trying to figure out how to be a human being uh, every single day of the week. But putting in that work of like, knowing myself, or at least trying to is one of the primary things that I think is, is put me at whatever this stage of life is that I'm at right now, which is definitely more successful, and well, and satisfied than I've ever been. And the other thing uh, beyond knowing myself is like knowing what you want. Uh, and again, it's not like uh, what need do I need to satiate in this specific moment of my existence? But like at the end of the day, like what do I want? Uh, I want my children to understand me. You can probably infer from that something about my own history, about feeling like I don't understand my parents mm -hmm. uh, or specifically a parent because – Without painting too fine a point on it, I know my mom really well. My mom knows me. Uh, my dad, I don't know that we're ever going to have that relationship. So what I'm doing right now and the way that I live my life, ultimately, I think at the end of the day, it tries to serve this desire that like, I want my children to understand me because at some point in the future, I'm not going to be here and they are. And when that moment happens, I want both the the color and quality of my life to reflect the fact that they got their money's worth out of the relationship with their father, uh, that my wife has that type of uh, understanding of like our relationship that she got her money's worth between my relationship to her as a, as a spouse and as a best friend. And that if they want to understand more about me, that again, like, uh, I mean, this is, you know, very much a little Freud would have a field day with this. Like I'm leaving breadcrumbs for my kids. I leave uh, you know, I lead those breadcrumbs through writing. I lead that those breadcrumbs through uh, experiences that I provide to them. I leave those breadcrumbs through, uh, you know, my social media activity. Like this stuff isn't going away. We're the first people in the history of human society where 
people are going to have to look back at this period of time and they're not having to like interpret meaning and truth and reality from uh, scrolls and stuff written on stone and like, uh, you know, authorship bias. Uh, God willing, a hundred years from now, I'm going to have a grandchild or great grandchildren that if they want to know what I thought and how I felt, they're going to be able to look at that record from my own words. That that's not a thing that any other generation has ever had the possibility with. So the way that I live my life is kind of in consideration of that. Is I, I want to be, I want my children, I want people to understand me, and uh, and everything that I kind of do in life, in my professional life, uh, not only kind of drives that, but then I also want other people to experience that same thing. Uh, specific to to kind of rein the theoretical stuff in a little bit, um, I'm not in charge of my children's life. My son wants to play pro baseball. My daughter believes she's going to be the first woman that plays professional baseball. I'm not in control of either one of those outcomes. I'm not in control of that destiny. Uh, But what I do want is for them to have known at the end of the day, whether they reach that goal or not, it's the same thing that you were talking about. Is it like I walk out of that business pitch meeting and I ask myself that question, like, did I do my best? Was I as prepared as I possibly could have been? Um, Did I give it my all? Did I set myself up for success? And if I could check those boxes and the answer is yes, and I still didn't get what I want, it's like, okay, sustained application of pressure over time is I'm just going to take that same preparation, that same work ethic into the next meeting. And I'm going to go try to dominate that thing because I know that my stuff works. Um, you know, I, I, I know that like I'm doing the right things and eventually that domino will fall. I can't control whether my kids reach the ultimate application of the the things that they, that they, advocate as an 11 and as a 13 year old in life that they want. I'm not in charge of that. I want to try to set them up for success. But at the end of the day, whether they reach that goal or not, I want them to feel satisfied with either outcome, because I believe that satisfaction is good for you in an emotional, you know, mental well-being sense. Like that's good to be satisfied. And I I just want, that's what I want for them. Well, Devin, I think you just summarized what every parent should want. And, um, and really got to the heart of, of what I was hoping we could get to. And I'm so thankful, uh, again, that I got to listen to you with the Bulldogs. And I am so thankful that um, you responded to a DM I sent ages ago. And I'm so thankful <laughs> that uh, for something that that does not come as naturally to me as it does to you jumping on these podcasts, um, that something that seemed like I didn't know if it was going to have application for what I'm trying to do. I think it clearly does. And I think that what you are teaching anyone and everyone uh, can be well served from, from the way that you look at things and the way you try to apply what you know and just the humanity, humility with which you do it. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that we get to stay in touch. Uh, so the, more than anything, you can keep me from being uh uh, something I don't want to be in uh, my son's life, uh, my son's baseball life. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to do it. You know, I, I, I believe that those connections are pretty valid. And oftentimes I, I don't really talk about it uh, in this particular framework because, you know, it's, it's hard to be like talking about youth baseball and, and parenting. And then you go into like this other kind of higher level thought about like self-actualization and, you know, ultimate like emotional satisfaction. But I, I mean, I believe that it's that it's there. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to happy to help, man. Happy to talk about it. 
Well, thank you again. Uh, you, you have made my Friday and um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Home. While we all face this new and uncertain world, I find it inspirational and reassuring to learn of our guests' journeys from around the country, and I hope you do too. Join us next week as we continue to learn what goes into Creating Home.